I'm John Sullivan with 401k Specialist, and this is the 401k Specialist Podcast. This week, we're joined by David Blanchett, Morningstar's Head of Retirement Research, to take a close look at target date strategies amid the volatility of 2020 and what lies ahead for 2021. We'll also cover key trends in target date adoption and try to answer an important question about their use. Do investors have to be all in to make them work? David, let's get one important question about target date funds out of the way first. Uh, Do investors need to have all their assets in one TDF for it to work properly, or can some assets be held away? Gosh, that's actually a pretty tough question. Um, I think think both can make sense, right? If you think about the way that most people actually buy target date funds today, they buy them in 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 a 401k or defined contribution plan. And, you know, if they have money outside of the plan, they might not be utilizing that same investment. So, um, I'm, I'm generally a, a, a pretty big fan of target date funds, especially in terms of, you know, what was the alternative historically. So I think, I think either can work. I think that if you're, if you're combining other funds with target date funds within a 401k, that doesn't make a ton of sense. I think if you've got different accounts, it, it could always make sense to have different asset allocations. I, I thought we were going to settle the question once and for all, but you had to go and be diplomatic. Yeah, the answer is usually going to be, it depends. So, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Understood. <laughs> One thing we know about target date funds from the 2008 crisis is that they're very good at keeping people calm and invested in times of turmoil. Have we seen that with COVID, David? I think so. I mean, the one thing I think it's important with, with target date funds in general is that it kind of it prompts people to, to be more hands-off when it comes to their accounts. And so, you know... <laughs> It's funny. I, I, I do a lot of research, and you know, I always kind of get excited about market downturns because you get to find out, you know, what happens when people kind of, you know, are confronted with a lot of volatility and crazy things happening. And you know, we had some of that in Q1, Q2, but we're kind of we're kind of back to a bull market almost. And so, you know, what we saw, you know, at the end of Q1, early Q2, was that you know most investors in target date funds were staying put. Now, and that being said, you know, most investors in they were self-directing also stayed put, but we didn't really have that long or that pronounced of a market shift. Obviously, there was a very big movement down end of Q1, but it didn't last a year or two like they normally do. So it wasn't exactly the best environment for research purposes. I'm sorry, I can't let that go. You said you get excited for downturns as a researcher because you actually see how people react. That's fascinating. Can you just uh, maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Well, and, and like my colleagues, I'll, you know, I'll be in meetings and I make that comment because I mean, you always want to see you know, investors don't tend to make terrible choices when the markets are going well. Right. And I, I think the, 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 the true strength of any given financial plan or strategy is, is, is can clients stick with it when things go wrong? And, you know, we've been in kind of a, a, a roaring bull market now for almost the last decade. And so, you know, you create strategies for clients. You want to, you want to do things to help them accomplish their financial goals, but you have to see how well it actually helps them do it. And, you know, so a great kind of way to uh, stress test any kind of strategy is to have, you know, market volatility or a downturn. And so you obviously don't want people to make mistakes, but at the same time, you want to, you want to make sure that what you, what you, what you theoretically think is how you should help someone accomplish their goals actually helps them get there. So, you know, I, I never wish for it to be too painful or last for too long, but I sure. think that, you know, we have to, we have to, you know, ask the question, you know, how do products, how do services, how do solutions actually help clients when things go wrong? Because that's really when they're tested. Understood. What excites you, if anything, about target date fund innovation in the near term, David? Does anything jump out at you? Well, I mean, I think that, that 
you know, the, uh, the problem with TDFs, for better or for worse, is that, you know, there's, there's, there's over 100 strategies today that exist across mutual funds and CITs. And so if you're the 101st entrant into the market, you're going to be probably a lot different. You're going to have to have a different story than, say, you know, the Vanguard or the T-Rose or the Fidelities. But I think what I want to see more of is just personalization. I think that, that again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm negative on TDFs. TDFs have been a phenomenal improvement for the vast majority of Americans that were self-directing. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, they're very generalized. It's, it's this idea that there's one allocation that works for everyone that is, you know, within a five-year age gap. And so, you know, I, I, what I hope to see is more of an evolution where they're more personalized. Um, and you can obviously do that today with robo-advice, but there are what I would call kind of like hybrid TDF solutions that do allow for some customization with the allocation that isn't kind of full-on robo-advice. Understood. You, you previously, previously said, David, that we just can't press an easy button on retirement planning and income because such a button doesn't exist. But aren't target date funds in part meant to do just that, make it easy? Well, so the thing is, is that they are. And so like, that's why they've been so successful. But I mean, to be honest, the investment part of stuff today is kind of the easy part, right? If you want to build a good portfolio, it was funny. I was talking to a reporter the other day about, you know, the, the uh, this Bogleheads three fund strategy. And I'm like, hey, I can beat your three fund strategy with the one fund strategy, invest in the target date fund. Right, um, right. But here's the thing, though, like, that's just the investments. And for me, you know, who used to be a financial planner, investments is obviously important, but it's all the other stuff that can matter a whole lot more. So, I mean, yes, you can get kind of radical simplification with the TDF, but it's not going to tell you how much to save, when to retire, when it claims Social Security, everything else that people need guidance on that I think really is um, far more complex and really should be far more personalized. Do you believe in the 4% rule? You know, it's funny. I, I do. Um, uh, I, you know, I've done a lot of research with Michael Finca and Wade Fowle talking about you know, safe withdrawals today. And I mean, here's the thing. It's a rule of thumb, right? And it's not perfect. Um, you know, early research on it used historical returns. It obviously changes when you you know use forward looking returns but but the metric itself isn't isn't that wrong i mean in reality people can 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 cut back on spending if they need to we're not you don't actually measure we're not measuring outcomes correctly with success rates and so i mean i i can like i could talk for an hour about it but i, I still think it's a pretty good rule of thumb to use today for someone asking how much do i have to save for retirement so you know, the 4% rule says one over 4%. You need about 25 times your income goal when you retire. Now, for some folks, that's going to be two, two and a half percent. For other people, it could be it could be six percent. I think the key is it's just a conversation starter. And even four percent is a lot lower or requires a lot more than most people uh, I think would think when it comes to how much they have to save for retirement. Understood. You've written that we need to do a much better job of predicting the end of our retirement, which, to be honest with you, sounds a lot like the end of our lives. Uh, what do you mean by that? And do target date funds take that into account? Do they think like that? So it's funny. The end of retirement is death, but it's it's so morbid to say we need to figure out when you're going to die, right? Uh, but I mean, so here, here's the thing. You know, I, I've done research on this, and most planners use the exact same retirement end age, or we can be, we can be negative and call it a death age in their financial plans. But, you know, if you just, if you just look at two, two households, one are healthy non-smokers and one are unhealthy smokers, the, the difference in life expectancy is 15 years. And I think the key is, is just 
you know, if, if you are that unhealthy smoker, your your retirement strategy should be very different than that 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 high income, maybe healthy non-smoker. And and I think the key is is just you know, we spend all this time thinking about, well, you know, should I assume that, that, that large caps are going to return 6% or 6.2%? And I think that a lot of us that do planning, you know, miss out on other ways to improve financial plans, which is kind of, again, personalizing when retirement is likely to end based upon your kind of health and wealth information. Incredibly obvious point here, but in your line of work, I'm sure you've become a great student of human behavior, David, and behavioral finance in particular. But is there one thing that really stands out that was shocking from your research as it relates to investor behavior, either with target date funds or anything else? I mean, anything that you really said, wow, I didn't expect that. You know, I think that, I don't know if this answers your question, but but for me, you know, one thing that I've come to realize is that I spend an awful lot of time kind of estimating things that are what are called utility maximized. Right? Utility is how economists quantify preferences. So we do you know, Monte Carlo or stochastic models, and we run all these simulations, and we figure out what, what is the best thing for a client. Well, it's all kind of irrelevant if the client doesn't want to do it. They're not going to feel happy when they do it. And so you know, I think for me, it's just, it's just overlaying with everything I do, my experience as a planner, and kind of asking these questions about, well, you know, a certain strategy might be quote unquote optimal, but if a client's not going to do it and or enjoyment, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so for me, like the right answers for so many people is kind of finding that middle ground between what is kind of truly, truly utility maximizing, but also what is kind of manageable for them as an irrational, crazy human being. What are you working on now, David? What can we expect next from you? Um, so, you know, right now I'm doing some stuff looking at uh, the expected equity risk premium. Um, I'm looking at the kind of the high cost of um, income today. I think that, you know, one thing with retirees is they really, you know, it's funny, if you talk about things like the 4% rule, there's this implied assumption in the analysis that you're going to draw down your capital. Well, retirees don't want to do that. Historically, they've been very opposed to spending down their principal. And that's been doable, right? If we go back, you know, looking at different data sets over the last two or three decades, it was very possible to create a decent income from a portfolio. Well, now you've got you know bond yields around one two ish percent. You've got stocks you know yielding about two percent. I think I think it's going to be a really interesting situation moving forward for investors who want income because you just can't get enough kind of juice from that today without selling off something or doing something different. David, that is exactly what we needed. Thank you so much for joining us. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 